0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want salon perfect nails for just $2 a manicure. That's the second time he's
1: gone on. never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those guys. Those,
2: those and I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good
3: yes. lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team.
0: <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hi there, and welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Podcast. Hello, Murph. Hello there, Ron. Hello there, Ken. How are you? I'm very good, Ken, after what was an unbelievable weekend for the Irish teams in the Champions Cup, just like old times in a lot of ways. And I'd like to quote my favourite young firebrand of a rugby journalist right now, if that's okay. Go for it. This guy is a force of nature on Twitter, a real rabble rouser, at Hick Simon, Uh (laughs) who said on Saturday evening... If Monster win this year, it's an instant 30 for 30 documentary. Mm. Uh, 111 likes, 19 retweets, 6 replies. So, good my be- interactions. <laughs> my best ever tweet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it really is a 30 for 30 in the making, given the... Didn't see that one taken off, I have pitch. to say. No, oh. it's good. I liked it. Uh, emotional off it turmoil happens, off the um, pitch. Notes. Yeah, you never know. Uh, the rejuvenation on the field. Like, to the point that they now hammer to lose by 25 points in a European quarterfinal. And nobody seems that surprised. So yeah, of course. Yeah, of course Munster are going to hammer to lose this time around. It was actually funny. I don't know if you agree with me, Simon, or how you felt watching these games. But watching the Leinster match was the first... It was the first time I considered that Leinster are actually as good as they... As has been advertised, because you never really know in in, in the Pro 12, and uh, it was the first time I basically thought this team can win the tournament this year. Yeah, and watching Munster, I had a similar thought for for different reasons. It's like this really is a team who's married that emotional pitch with a, a pretty a decent, a very good knowledge of what they're doing in the game. First time I actually thought that both of these teams can actually win the tournament.
4: Yeah, I thought both games were without tension. Maybe it's just me, but I was certain both teams were going to win five minutes into both of the games, even though it was relatively tight and both uh, Toulouse and Wask came back at them. But I was before the game, I was sure Munster were going to win anyway, and then I thought they're going to get a home semi. So I could kind of see Munster in a final anyway. Mm. But Leinster, up to this point, I thought had been, there'd been a hint of being flat-track bullies. If they beat a team, they absolutely destroyed them, as they did with Northampton. But if they were in a battle, as they were with Castra... I thought they looked vulnerable. This is the first time they put away a really good side, yeah, a confident side. This is
0: it, and it's of course they have to go away and play Claremont in Lyon or whatever it is, and that's uh, Claremont will be favourites for that, but if they just squeaked through against Wasps, I still mightn't have been feeling particularly good about that. It's like you say, the fact that they put them away in... Yeah, and they really did. I know LaRouche should have scored that try and that might have been a bit closer and they did still get back to within eight points. But without doing a huge amount, I didn't think... As well as Lencer's attacking play, they didn't really let Wasps do a huge amount during the game, which is quite impressive. No,
4: and... The other big factor I suppose is that Joey Carberry changes the way they play, not just in that mm. he's an attacking fullback who can counterattack and offload and all the rest, but also that he makes Johnny Sexton look like a better player or takes some of the pressure off Johnny Sexton, changes so many factors about the way they play.
1: Hold on. Sorry, can we can we just stop here for just one second, right? Because we were told that Wasps were obviously the best team in the Aviva Premiership. I mean this is a team that, you know, we're all top of the table, yeah. Top of the table. They come over with Danny Cipriani playing it out half and we're expected to take them seriously as a rugby team.
4: <laughs> you get all your uh, rugby knowledge from Hello Magazine.
1: Yeah, well, the fact that if I read only Hello Magazine, I would know that Danny Cipriani was not going to commandeer uh, Wasp to victory in this game. Well, it
0: wasn't a great 55 minutes of play before he was hauled ashore, that is true. He has been going well
1: for them in a lot of Premiership <laughs> games. games. To be honest, if, if you tell me that, I j- instead of me thinking more of Danny Cipriani, I just think less of the entire league. So I I I like I just couldn't believe it. I mean, you're you're before the game starts, they're talking about the battle at out half between Johnny Sexton and Danny. Cipriani. Like, don't do that to Danny Cipriani. I mean, that's that's embarrassing for him, let alone embarrassing <laughs> for G- uh, Jimmy. For a, Jimmy
4: Gopper did try to tell his own coach to pick him, Jimmy Gopper, that out half. Last week, but they didn't read the signs.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I just can't understand it. You know that, like, that they can spend that amount of money and then hand the most important position in the entire pitch. Yeah. it's to, weird. Like, it's weird to yeah. have all
4: that talent outside and then have a handbrake at ten.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, th- but that's it. I mean, he's not, he's not just going to be ineffectual. He's going to be, you know, a flashpoint that everyone can see. That if anyone, like, scrolling through Twitter and half watching the game, can see that Danny Cipriani is a complete is just a huge weakness that Leinster are just going to continually pummel, and then he and then he's going to be rattled. Well, it was and a funny loads of Whatever about
0: Jack Conan running at him like that, as as would have been expected, it was. There were a couple of more embarrassing moments for him. He was sidestepped pretty appallingly by Joey Carberry and you might say, okay, in form, mm. unbelievably skillful player. He was also sidestepped in a similar fashion by Tyke Furlong at one point. Who is a very talented prop, but a prop nonetheless, and has other. He has other responsibilities around the field yeah. other than it wasn't great by you. Cipriani. I, uh, I mean, I just, he, just he, like, certainly, he certainly didn't. Yeah, win back your trust, Murph. No, if it you was ever weird. Had it in, Danny.
1: The the, uh, the like the two games you're they were playing obviously two huge clubs, but the tries that the that the Irish teams actually conceded were all you know, run in from... You know, there was no cohesion, no, like, concerted pressure that led to any of the tries that were scored against Leinster and Munster. I mean, it was just insane that a year from no Irish team being in the quarterfinal to watching these two like Leinster and Munster just at their ease win two quarter finals I mean it it is an extraordinary transformation in just 12 months We're
0: going to have Shane Horgan and Jerry Torney on in just a moment and might quirk a little bit later on the podcast on what has turned out to be another Dublin Kerry League final or will turn out to be next weekend although not for the want of trying by a young man we bigged up on one of our daily podcasts last Thursday Murph Jack McCarron of Monaghan scored one goal and nine points to help them into a six point lead against the Dubs which they probably should have seen out but failed too, unbelievable. He he likes to shimmy. Does Young
1: McCarroll? He does. He, he someday he's going to shimmy himself just it it kind of hundred and eighty and just end up you know pointing the wrong direction down the field. Uh, that would be my only concern. He's a, he is a brilliant player. I mean, we had kind of flagged it while talking to Conor McManus last uh, Thursday that this guy was really good. But I mean. Yes, well, if there had ever been a second captain's curse, Jack McCarran has lifted that Well, curse. he Well, wa- not really, because he wasn't on the show. Well, His teammate we Conor t-
0: McManus was on the show. We talked about Jack McCarron. we we'll have to get Jack McCarron on maybe and curse him this week. <laughs> see, see
1: how that goes. Hello. Give him plenty of time to recover between now and the Ulster Championship. Exactly.
0: Uh, fairly incredible days rugby to get into now with Shane Horgan and Jerry Thornley, who's popped into the studio. Jerry, how are you? Very good, thank you. Uh, we were tentatively hoping that the weekend would be a throwback to the glory days. Did it feel that way?
5: Yeah, it did, with a lot of new blood, and I think that was the key thing about it, that so many uh, relatively inexperienced players, or first time in stages like this, for their respective provinces in the knockout stages, rose to the occasion so well, given, you know, that Leinster were missing a couple of experienced players like Rob Carney and Jamie Heaslip and others, and Munster without Murray, and then lost Omani Earls and Standard in a 10-minute period thereabouts in the second half, and... The way so many good young players came through, Gary Ringrose, Joey Carberry, Dan Levy, so forth, and the same man, Munster, with John Ryan being man of the match, and the way, okay, Duncan Williams is 30 and had over 100 caps for Munster, but the way he filled in for Conor Murray, the way Tyler Blaindell ran the show, the way Darren Sweetman played, um, just, they just showed an awful lot of composure. Both won very similarly. They started like express trains, then were pegged back midway through the second half to eight-point eight, eight point leads and getting a bit wobbly. And then they both saw the games very well in the end. I think that would stand to them then if they'd both gone on and had big, handsome routes. The fact that they were tested and came through and almost like one at a second time over again. So, yeah, it was very encouraging. Albeit now, of course, as is true Heineken Cup stroke, European Champions Cup rugby it goes up another notch, as mm-hmm. you'd expect it to do. With You've you got the double premiership and European reigning champions, Saracen's probably the form team in Europe. And um, you've got a Clermont-Avern team that, in Lyon particularly, will be very testing for Leinster. And both Irish teams will probably go in as underdogs, but um, they're there. It's good to be yeah, back. exactly. They're there,
0: Shane. And I mean, the Munster story in particular is absolutely incredible. I don't know your thoughts on the idea that it's written for them now this year, forget about logic, forget about everything that's gone before. Do you believe in destiny, Shane?
2: I don't. I don't believe in destiny, but I do believe that um, momentum can bring you a long way and a, a collective belief or you know, team spirit or whatever you call it, emotional engagement, um, that can have a huge effect. And I think, you know, without doing a disservice to the quality of the monster performances, everything that they're doing is... Underpinned by a something that's bigger than just what's going on in the field, and that's been the case, you know, since the, the terrible tragedy of um, um, Anthony Foley's uh, death before Christmas. And um, there's no doubt there's, you know, the skill level has gone up. Their protection for the ball, um, their strength of the carry, um, their defence in particular has got much better, but. You know, something still not adding up to the quality of performances that um, we're seeing and the quality of results that Munster are getting, and I do think it is because uh, the players feel and the and the crowd. I was down there on Saturday, and uh, the atmosphere was incredible. And that connection that's always existed uh, between the Munster team and the supporters, that but maybe was maybe wasn't as strong in the last couple of years, is back and. Um, it was it was a real spectacle to be down there, and the relationship between uh, both parties, uh, fans and and players, was really noticeable. They reacted to each other. Um, you know, the noise of the crowd impacted how um, the quality of the play and and the intensity of the play. And uh, it's it's a special year down in Munster, no matter what happens. And I think uh, Saracens, as we've seen what's coming to Dublin, I think Saracens. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a real challenge for them. They will not want to uh, play Munster, you know, in these circumstances, in that stadium.
4: Jerry, you may not, or Shane doesn't say, believe in destiny, but do you believe that players sometimes get it in their heads that they're destined to win things, and then that becomes a force all of its own?
5: I don't think that the players feel it's their destiny to go and win this thing. What I do think is that they, to a degree, they're still, if you like, going on the pitch and representing Anthony Foley, and... Um, They've channeled the, that energy in the correct way, and it it hasn't left them. And I think it will carry them and continue to sustain them for as long as possible. I don't think it'll go away this season. Now, um, all the technical improvements that Shane spoke about are undoubtedly there. Good coaching. You have to give Razi Erasmus and Jack our real credit. They've got the best defence in the competition. Their line speed. I think their breakdown work is, and like Leinster, that was what really set them apart from. To lose and Wasps the weekend, the way they were the first two in were just so effective. Whether it was on the opposition ball or, or cleaning out their own ball, it meant that they could keep numbers in attack and defence um, when they had the possession or when they were defending. And they had that umbilical link, as Shane says, with the crowd again. You remember, I think it was three seasons since they had a full house. I think it was against Claremont-Avern three seasons ago. And it all started with that Glasgow game. I mean, Anthony Foley passed away on the morning. They were meant to make their first appearance in this year's competition and they were outsiders of the four teams in their group. Uh, never mind, way, mm. way back, way, way down in the betting. You have to remind yourself of that. You have to remind because yourself. Because it's
4: so yeah. recent, and yeah. yet already it feels like they could win the thing.
5: Yeah, they've beaten Racing, they've beaten Leicester, they've now beaten Toulouse, um, they've beaten a, a good Glasgow team home and away. Like they deserve their place in the semi finals. Um, their squad standing up to the tests have been asked of them. They've got three weeks to regroup. If they're going to beat Saracens anywhere, it's going to probably be in the Aviva, the semi final. That was their best chance of getting them. Um, and I just think that when it comes to the semi final, they will go be going out there to represent Monster and their fans, who will be there, I'd say, 45,000 of them. They've only asked for 35,000 tickets. I'd say you'll end up with 45,000 Monster fans the game. And uh, it's going to be like Toman Park. It's just going to become Toman Park for the day. And that makes them very dangerous because it gives them sources of energy at vital times in a match when they're down. There was, I, would, I don't think Francois Croix would have been yellow card. I don't think JP Doyle and the officials would have even looked at it again were it not for the home crowd and there was a moment around the hour mark when Toulouse got back to eight points, they should have got back to five, I don't know why they didn't offer for a kick at goal, and they went through 14, 15 phases, and as they went through every phase, the crowd, in, their, in Munster's hour of need, typically, in their moment of need, started chanting, Munster, 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 louder and louder and louder, and you almost sensed something was going to happen, and sure enough, uh, Yakuba Camera lumbers around the side. I don't know what Toulouse are trying to do with it. And you could see James Cronin flying into the contact and, and not dislodging the ball with help of, I think it was Tommy O'Donnell who led their tackle count, and uh, Billy Holland, and they got a turnover. And the noise, the wall of noise that greeted that moment was every bit the equal of a try being scored and every bit as influential in the game. From that moment on, you just sense they are going to win it. Yeah. And I think that's just... as You look at the Munster team, and maybe you look at the Leinster team, you look at the Saracens team... Um, and you think that Munster don't have all that much talent by comparison to their rivals, but as ever with Munster, when they get momentum, the, sum, the collective sum adds up to more than the individual, individual parts because they all play for each other so much. Now Saracens do that as well, and these are two pressure teams that are going to produce, I would say, what would be very much a classic semi-final arm wrestle. It's going to be both trying to apply pressure themselves. And I think whoever gets in front might well go on and win. Saracens very rarely have to come from behind, and that helps them put the squeeze on teams. So Glasgow just, you know, come into the parlour, set of the spiders to the fly. You know, you get an early lead, you play territory, and Glasgow have to force from deep, and it's just tailor-made for Saracens. Um, if either Saracens or Munster get an early lead, the pressure they're going to put on the opposition will be just intense.
4: Yeah, Shane, it was interesting. I thought that Rassi said he'd prefer to face Saracens in Ireland than face Glasgow in Scotland and you know on the evidence of the weekend Saracens are a far superior team so it shows just how much they believe in that element as you say of momentum and crowd influence and just to keep this thing rolling that it's it's more important than to say the clear logic of facing a superior opponent.
2: Well, you you know you don't always have to take these things as logic, and you don't always have to take them necessarily as what the coach naturally believes. But I do think what's interesting there is that he is continuing on the momentum of you know home support and the connection with the fans and um, that sort of you know sort of almost the mystical element to what's going on by playing at home uh, against the big Saracens team. I think he's he's continuing to sell that to the players and the fans, and I think that's uh, where it can be, you know, where it's where it's more important uh, and maybe more vital. But you know, just looking at the Saracens, I probably disagree with Jerry a bit in that it it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a massive arm wrestle. I think Saracens um, have evolved their play a lot in the last number of years. I thought they were very incisive on in some of the stuff that they were trying to do, and um, it wasn't just uh, a bluster or. or um, of course it will be underpinned by physical but I think Saracens will look and see how can we dissect Munster a little bit, but um, I think the Munster defence has been so good in this tournament um, that's not going to be easy so then what happens after that point, what happens if balls goes down what happens if there's big turnovers because um, Saracen players are, are running a lot of lines uh, and not resourcing the rook properly you know, that throws up really interesting um, situations that that you know Munster may be able to to exploit and and how Saracens will react to it and I think we got to look at this game um, with one eye on what happened when England came over definitely and one eye on what happened when uh, Wasps came over as well you know both teams really struggled uh, playing Irish opposition in the Aviva and. We have to, you know, it was tough for us to go to Paris in the years gone by. It was tough for us to go to abroad and win. And, and the, you know, are, our expectations were low, even of ourselves. And even though this team um, is as good as it is, and it's won a European Cup and it's won premierships, you know, there is something you know, in the minds of English players about coming to Ireland and getting a result. Because it doesn't happen very often.
0: Well, just yeah, uh, and it's funny that you started to touch on the mentality of the uh, of the respective countries and of the uh, particularly the Munster team. Niall Scannell was quite interesting on this. He was talking about uh, the Razzie Erasmus impact. He says Irish people just aren't arrogant by nature, but we have to tell ourselves we've earned this. We earned the quarterfinal. We had to go and enjoy it. Sometimes we find that hard in Munster. We're so hard on each other around everything, trying to drive standards. I think we have to step back and say we've earned this. It hasn't been by fluke. So go go out and enjoy it. I think that uh, we've lifted the pressure off ourselves a small bit, and Razzie has helped in a massive way. With that, he just says, as long as the efforts there today, win or lose or draw, we can hold our heads up. So it's kind of interesting. You know, it sounds pretty basic, Shane. I suppose sometimes when you hear of what these excellent coaches do to motivate teams, it doesn't sound all that um, groundbreaking or anything. But clearly, he's tapped into something. He seems to have have got his heads his head around what those Munster players need to hear right now.
2: I think it's really important. I'm glad he said that because it's important for players to enjoy their success as well and i think you know you know paulie was uh, was uh, roger were so influential in, in that uh, monster changing room for so long and you know at the tail end of it you know the team wasn't as good as it previously been or as it is now probably or certainly the performances weren't there and there did feel to me that that sort of weight of expectation uh, and the sort of view back to what had previously been achieved, weighed very heavy on those monster players. So even when they were having small successes, it didn't even seem to be, you know, that enjoyable to them. And, you know, we're do, we do this for the successful days. And, that, you know, the advent of professionalism sometimes, you know, you know sucks the joy out of things a bit. Because is always the next match and you're concentrating on your performance and you don't want to give the opposition... Um, any ammunition, but sometimes you have to say, yeah, we did okay here. What Munster are doing is, is has been really remarkable this year. You can't, I can't get over how poor some of their, their play was um, throughout last season. It was, you know, I really didn't see them being in this situation whatsoever. So, you know, it's not about arrogance to give yourself a bit of a pat on the back to enjoy the success at this level and to think, you know, we can still continue on and be humble and and enjoy it and perform next time out as well.
5: What's surprising about Monster of the Season are talking to people within the campus that they say that Razi Erasmus has brought a real emotional intelligence, which, with all due respect to South African coaches, is not the first thing you'd expect from <laughs> South African coaches. <laughs> and 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 that's the way. I mean, he's been tested in that sense. His emotional intelligence has been really tested by the events of this year. And what I talked about earlier about the way they've channeled their energy into playing for Axel in a respectful way. And also, um, Jerry Flannery has said that you know the past achievements weighed heavily. On them, as Shane alluded to, and maybe even got on their nerves all the talk about 06 and 08. I'm sure, it would, yeah. Yeah, well, actually, interesting. Say that. P- Peter Armani says doesn't get on my nerves. I mean, they were a big part of my boyhood memories. They were a big part of inspiration for me. And I think they've embraced their past and used it as a source of inspiration as well. I was interviewing Simon Zebo last week for the paper, and he reminded me that he, was, he went over at 15 years of age to Cardiff in 2006 with his uncle by the, on ferry. They drove to Cardiff um, and, uh, you know, he was amongst the crowd that day mm. and he was 15 and that was a powerful spur for him to go and one day mm. play for Monster and emulate those heroes. And I think it's a source of inspiration for them now as well. Yeah, I think they've got that, that monkey off their back a little bit.
2: Yeah, sorry, Joe, I think that's, uh, it's an inspiration for the guys of that generation to go and want to play for Monster and to, to win for Monster. Mm. But I really, really got the feeling in the last couple of years before what they've done you Know that it weighed so heavy on them that they had to be this type of individual or play this type of way, or um, you know, it was almost an embarrassment for them. And uh, I think when when results weren't going well, I did feel that that was becoming, you know, a negative. Now, they've with the event, the advent of this year, they have changed that around to you. To You're right, saying it is entirely a positive now and it's a connection with with great times and it's not we have to do what you know that monster team did or behave the way they did or you know follow their standards they these guys are are you know plowing their own furrow now and they're you know this monster team is very much this monster team not an incarnation of previous Munster teams, and even with some of the individuals from those Munster teams on it.
0: Will that survive the possible loss of Razzi Erasmus, Shane? Because there's more reports today that, that the 42 are saying that he's been offered a four-year contract as director of rugby of South Africa, which you can see the pull there. Is it survivable if he does move on, their current upsurge?
2: I don't know i don't know and um, that emotional connection that you have you know, you've know, you spoken about there and it's interesting that you know jerry touched on it as well interesting that uh, it has been flagged up by the players um there's a lot there's a lot of this monster performance is based on on um, an emotional connection to what's going on this year whether that diminishes uh, when they say th- if they think you know Razzie is no longer part of the product uh the, the project um, there's, a, there's a distinct possibility that that would be the case. Um, uh, you know whether it's improved. I don't. I wouldn't imagine that it's a. You know we we're going to do this for Razi because he's going back to South Africa. I don't really see that side of things. The best case uh, for Munster would be, you know, if he is. You know, if rumours are, are, are proved to be correct and he does go back, and that is leaked out in the next number of weeks, that you know the force of you know the year that's in it and the other factors involved in this success are so great that they uh, supersede that and they don't take you know it doesn't uh, diminish what they're doing
0: no such emotional baggage around leinster this season jerry's been just a very Um, I suppose they've been very methodical in what they've gone and done over the course of the season and uh, culminated in this amazing performance at the weekend in particular everybody's been talking about Joey Carberry Mm. and his was it 25 carries 200 (laughs) metres gained a couple of assists some dummies a little bit of everything was this the day that he really announced himself obviously we've known about him for a relatively short space of time but maybe to European rugby
5: yeah big stage I mean you've got to remember he made his international debut um, steering the ship home against the All Blacks first ever win so he has passed these tests before he seems to be very fearless very very strong temperament, and you've got to give credit to um Stuart Lancaster Leo Cullen, and the Leinster coaching staff that they gave him license to play the way he did, and it yielded a brilliant counter attacking try, which is not something you see very often from Irish teams so he he gave an, he gave another dimension to the running game as well as a second playmaker when you think of that wonderful right to left pass for Easton Oswa's try for the first try um and he was the fulcrum around a lot of what they did. He probably showed us a little bit of inexperience when he ran back a, bay, a ball when it might have been time for a bit more kick tennis, given you're at home and you're winning by 20 points or whatever it was. So you have to take that? as This is an yeah, argument. You have yeah, to take the odd yeah, mistake maybe, if you're going to have yeah, a go. Yeah, and, it's, and you know, the trade-off is still pretty much in the plus, so you'll take that. I think it's, it's indicative as well of what's happened with to the season. Shane was talking about the rugby that Munster were playing last season compared to this I was astonished when I went through the stats to discover that they've already scored, before Sardis came, 50 more tries than they scored in the whole of last season. Like, it's staggering how much different rugby they're playing, how much more potent they are, how much they're offloading. They're offloading more than any other Irish team and effectively. Um, and I thought a lot of players just rose to the kid. I thought, thought Sean O'Brien had his best game, one of his best games of the season, it was really timely for him. Uh, they just, it was just all the way through. Again, like I said, with the Munster game, their accuracy, the breakdown was so good, their pressure defence and wasps. Um, put them under pressure in a way that exact same way that Ireland Blitz defence have put England under pressure as well and with less time in the ball wasps cracked a bit and they, they went wide without earning the right to go wide and it just played into Leinster's hand it was a really good efficient performance all round but most of all they're just so much more potent now and you have to say a lot of that's down to Johnny Sexton being fit and well I thought he gave a masterclass Robbie Henshaw was just immense taking up ball and Ringrose and Carberry I mean it's great to see players young players with really good footwork and pace making such thrilling in into an opposition team. It's good to watch and I think that's why there was 50,000 people there and um, that's why Leinster reconnected with their fans as well.
4: Shane, just to put the Carberry performance into perspective this is guys not even a year out of the AIL with Clint Arf, played out half there, was absolutely, absolutely tore that competition up but he's only played a handful of games at fullback at provincial level and then he goes into this final and he just looks so relaxed. He's got that weird combination of a laconic style, but really fast reflexes. He, I mean, <clears throat> you know, he, he hasn't proven himself yet, but he's got those the basics to be a really great player.
2: He's it's it's because he's a really good player. It's simple as that. He's just a total quality player. And you know, I think if you look at back over the history of Leinster, when play, good players have come in, they've you know they've almost all worked fairly quickly. You know, not everyone. You know, and not immediately. But you kind of know the guys who are going to be there for the next number of years, so you know the guys who are going to um, be big performers on big days. And it's kind of it became really obvious really quickly with him that that was going to be the case. And then, because he starts performing, you know, he gains in, in confidence, and players around him gain gain in confidence at you know his skill level and his ability level uh, level, and they react off that. And Leinster are playing. Um, you know, really exciting. It was really, you know, watching that game again. It was, it was, you know, great to be um, to watch Leinster doing and playing the way Leinster should. And he was a key part to that. And I think, you know, Leinster have been trying for a while to get somebody else in as a first receiver or a second receiver, and it's been a, it's been a, been an issue for them. You look like someone like Noel Reid has been talked about as being a really good passer for Leinster for a very long time, but he's never delivered in the big game. And you know hasn't delivered in, in you know many performances, so um, that has been a concern. And Leinster haven't moved on from that. They work well with you know, with people who can play at first and second receiver, and and not just you know driving everything through. And um, Johnny Sexton, I think that's a threat for Leinster, and it's a threat for Ireland. As good as Johnny is, um, because he's so good and he's got so so much in his armory, um, the focus naturally goes massively on him. And that makes things dif- more difficult for him. Um, when there are more options than him, a first and second receiver, um, he plays even better because, um, you know, whether the line speed slows a little bit or there's a hesitation. Um, but, but Carberry is making that. But if you look across that back line in Leicester now, there's a lot of footballers. There's a lot of guys who are, are happy to take the ball and, and offload the ball and look for an outside break. And um, I think. You know they could have actually even scored a few more tries. They looked extremely dangerous against a was side who's not renowned for the defense, but there's a lot of you know quality backs in that back line, and uh, they were cut open a number of times.
0: Have you ever done a Willie Larue? you gonna ask him. <laughs> Have you ever dropped the ball over the line like that?
2: Um, no, but I also had the most conservative style of putting down a ball <laughs> at all time. I used to get the piss taken out. He was two hands on the ball all time. That I didn't even dive down. But that was a were you right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I feel. You know, my first instinct was this you know this guy is an idiot. You know, he he. But I don't think it was show I, I think it was you know he was diving for the line. I you know I think it was a, a technique issue. I don't think he was um, you know really outrageous in the dive even if i look back on it again but um it was just you know really unfortunate but it was a it was a key uh, a part of the game i'm not saying that Was would have um, necessarily won if they'd done it because they came back into the game later on and like munster and leinster dealt with that wobble really well i think jerry's right it was i think it was not not vital that they, um, that they, they got over that or had that wobble during the game, both teams. But I think it's really helpful for next time out because, you know, the one thing you might question about the Leinster team in particular, less so against Munster, uh, against, uh, about Munster is that you know there's a lot of young guys in that, in that team in that backline. But they reacted really well to to the pressure coming on.
0: Jerry, your initial thoughts about the Claremont challenge the semi-final? Um,
5: Claremont have probably the best strike rate in the tournament in terms of creating line breaks or pressuring the opposition 22 into tries. Now, they struggle a little bit against Toulon. Toulon were very brave. And with, with 20 minutes to go, it was still 9-0. I don't know how it was, because you could see the dam was going to burst, because the pressure, particularly in the second half, was unrelenting. If you look at the stats, uh, I think it's 400-odd metres carried to 100-odd. You know what I mean? They, they just ground them into submission. It was a constant wave of attacks. And I think the main difference between... Clermont this time around and in previous years is to have a real game manager 10 I mean Camille Lopez the variety of his kicking game the variety of his running game his passing game the way his restarts hanging for so long longer than any other restarts around it allowed France and allows Clermont to go after every restart it's a very attacking kind of uh, weapon they use um, even without Favana they're potent um, and it's going to be in Lyon which is only up the road I think they've asked for 22,000 tickets and Leinster have so far surprisingly only asked for three the capacity is 30,000 plus it can rise to near 40,000 they've got these banners over advertising hordes that can be removed to make the att- attendance bigger if so needs be but it's obviously going to be a glorified home match for Claremont and um, I think Clermont will go into that game as, as marginal favourites and rightly so because they're a different beast at home and they're playing pretty well this season it, they look a, a much better team than last year They've a, they can play all manner of games they're a real all-weather team and they're still the best side in, in, by some distance to watch in France and they're surely the best team that's never won this competition and one of these years they're going to do it mm. and uh, you hope it's not this year
0: yeah well, let's s- en- enjoy Wallow in this weekend for the time being anyway amazing day on Saturday Jerry. brilliant Shane Cheers. thanks a mil.
2: Thanks, Mel.
4: Sorry, I've lost it. The First Minister's name, Kieran Murphy, our second captain, and John Henderson, former Kenny and
0: Wigley Hurdle. Thank you both indeed for that. Uh, That's our lot for today. Just one headline. The British Prime Minister, Theresa May, is to meet the teacher again to Kenny in London tomorrow. This morning she's at Stormont meeting Martin McGuinness and uh, also Theresa... Sorry, I've lost it first minister's name Arlene
1: Foster, Arlene Foster thank you for that
0: it does seem more and more likely that Razzie Erasmus won't be around next year judging by the mood music I don't know why I used that phrase but Mm. the mood music there coming from from Munster but they have got some playing talent coming in during the summer
3: (laughs) (laughs) what's wrong with playing talent no mood music music. we're still still you mean like in a a movie where the music turns scary to let you know something bad is about to happen yeah that's the mood music coming out every time every time he opens his mouth that's basically what's going on in Munster it should be but actually it's more kind of... Jaws style. Yeah.
0: yeah. They have got some playing talent coming back in, though. Sorry, you're not finished with the move music?
3: Oh, no, I you're
0: think we're pretty much done. Oh, I think we've now this stage, Including the returning JJ Hanrahan, who we had on last Tuesday's podcast. He's in the middle of his second season at Northampton. And uh, he was really good on his reasons for moving there in the first place. And very clear also that the move music around JJ suggested that he was always going to return home at some point.
6: Yeah, it was always, um, that was always in the back of my mind. And I think um, Northampton were quite aware of that as well. Um, I was very honest with them through my discussions um, when I first signed my contract. And um, I to be honest, I wasn't too sure how long it would take. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I had another option of another year in the contract. Um, I didn't know if I was going to do the three years out there. I didn't know if I was going to be two. I didn't know if I'd go for four. Um, because when I went, I was 22. And I knew if I came back like, around 20, 25, 26, 27, there was still opportunity in Ireland um to try and, to try and play further um, but I just—it was all, like I knew at the same time I couldn't really think about that either. I had to just focus on the now and make sure I was playing well, and um, try trying to play as best I could and keep that door open. Because into the, the day, you can go there and you can have all these plans. If you're not playing well, no one will want you. So um, a lot of it was just down to keep playing well and focusing on the now.
0: Yeah, pretty common sense stuff there from JJ Hanron who had a bit of a head cold, as he explained to us mm. before coming on. I did ask him. I did, ask, said, him, I did
4: ask him about you know the honesty he showed with the club before going there saying I eventually want to go back to Munster and then Northampton equally being fine with Mm. that and honest with him and I suppose in my head I just thought with jobs in the non-sporting world you have to pretend that you love this company and this <laughs> job and you'll be there forever and you'll give your heart and soul to it
0: yeah where do you see yourself in five years JJ was JJ's answer would have been back at Munster and playing at out half for Ireland <laughs> which isn't the correct answer back where I belong definitely not here club, that <laughs> <your club. laughs> if you want to hear more from him or Luke Fitzgerald who popped in last week also you can get onto to secondcaptains.com and become a member of our world service the Second Captains football podcast is out now can?
2: that's yeah <laughs> they have asked for that really yeah, oh, you can laugh. I was the World up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me.
7: Do you don't know what you're talking about. What well, yeah. did you know? That? like it's... to stay alive for oh, six I'd
6: say it to your face, not say it what to you I'm down to field and we see them, What you what you're doing down here? You're showing me, man.
3: Well, there's a lot of um, football men uh, doing a lot of interviews over the weekend uh, with varying degrees of success. I would say... Uh, managed to successfully shift the attention away from his team to himself as is his want um, and so did David Moyes uh, nobody can really remember what happened in Sunderland's game against Watford uh, we could
1: all probably, uh, probably hedge a, hedge a pretty seat, good game <laughs> <Yeah>. I mean <laughs> if you're asking me to remember it now I'm not sure but mm.
0: yeah. unless but Jermaine Defoe scored two goals and which he <laughs> might have done then they definitely lost
3: no, unfortunately they lost, and then David Moyes compared, but it wasn't, it, I don't think this is going to be in any uh, public relations diploma textbook, no. um, as David Moyes uh, finished off his interview with Vicky Sparks of the BBC, uh, this thisly. That's
2: brilliant,
3: thank you very
2: much. Thank you. Nice to see you. just getting a wee bit naughty at the end there, <laughs> so <laughs> just watch yourself, you might get a, you still might get a slap even though you're a woman. Hmm. <laughs> yeah.
3: You still might get a slap, even though you're a woman, says David Moyes. Speaking today...
0: Oh, he's come out since... Well, that's had to do a, <laughs> to a press
3: conference. Right. <laughs> press conference time. Uh, David Moyes said, I deeply regret the comments I made. That's certainly not the person I am. I've accepted the mistake. I spoke to the BBC reporter, who accepted my apology. Um, the BBC spokesperson says, Mr Moyes has apologized to our reporter... And she has accepted his apology. However, um, a lot of people have since uh, got involved. Quite a lot of people have the view that this kind of sexism is intolerable. And that uh, an apology isn't enough to settle the issue. Uh, One of those people would be Dr. Rosana Allen Khan, who is the shadow sports minister. This is disgraceful. David always can't get away with these sexist threats. The FA must take action immediately. Um... So there, Guy Linker makes the point, um, I think given given everything we've seen, uh, actually it is a reasonable point, Moy's incident highlights a tendency for some managers to treat interviewers with utter disdain, a uh, pressured job, well-rewarded, inexcusable. Um, Leninger's point essentially is that it's, it's not unusual for managers to try to bully or intimidate. No,
0: sure. It happened with Jose Mourinho in a, a different context with Conor McMahon. That's a clip you can hear on the football podcast as well, mm. where he, Conor McMahon asked a very innocent question, a very, a very straightforward question. Were those two teams quite evenly matched out there after yeah. a nil draw? And Mourinho essentially ridicules him.
3: Tried to ridic- ridicule him, tried to make him look ridiculous uh, on his own. You know, bl- blindsiding him with with the kind of uh, an, an attitude to the interview that Conor McNamara clearly was not going to expect because you don't expect someone to just treat you with utter disrespect. Um, you know, and, and I mean, so you get this type of bullying behavior. That type of bullying behavior is something that managers do all the time. You know, this is kind of what we're talking about. They all try this kind of alpha male bullying. Like The, uh, the point of it is to intimidate interviewers not to ask difficult questions. You know, Well if, they don't. Well, do the inter- they You know, you- Most of them do do it on seriously. the mm-hmm. The idea is to what you want is to get. Uh, ideally, you want to you want to be able to give a thanks, Jeff, at the end of every. <laughs> uh, thanks, Jeff shows that the whole thing has been successful. Well, or well, do, well done, Jeff. Well done, Jeff. You want to be able to say that the manager wants to be able to say that to the interviewer. It doesn't have to be called Jeff, but you know, you want to be able to end they're every. We're all Jeff in our heads though. with with a little. Um, uh, well done, and a Don Finucci type slap on the cheek, hmm. you know.
1: Perhaps a, even a little, a little pinch, ten, ten bob note tucked into <laughs> his breast pocket. Yeah. As well.
3: So, that, so, so that is is part of the part of the culture. You can see that it is, you know, in some ways it's it's rational in terms of they're trying to make their own job easier by sort of intimidating reporters, um, and in some in some ways they're just being obnoxious. You know, you know what I mean. That is part of the culture, and I guess what you got, what you have there, is an incident which isn't uh, actually in its substance that unusual, but is unusual because it's, because it's so rarely a woman on the receiving end of it. And, and also just the bizarre, like, what, what? Did David Moyes lose his mind? I mean, David Moyes, <laughs> you know, goes around, spends all this time trying to be a good Christian, you know, uh, trying to be a nice guy, and then jokingly threatens to punch a woman. <laughs> I mean, like, what can you do? And it's it's one of those situations where, I'm sorry, David, but you're going to be on your own with this one. Mm. It's just not one of those cases where people are going to be queuing up to bat for David Moyes and saying, well, what we've got to do is 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 understand David Moyes' position here. You can see where he's coming from he in a lot of ways. There are not going to be people queuing up to do that. It's kind of more a case of, well, I think I'll sit this sit this one out <laughs> and see how this one goes.
0: After the last weekend of the Allianz Football League, we're left with another Dublin Kerry final. Let's look forward to that with Mike Quirk. Mike has a form.
7: Good. Very good, On,
0: Are you excited or a little bit apprehensive?
7: Uh, definitely apprehensive. Definitely apprehensive. I mean, it's hard to be too excited without... Um without having without having that little bit of fear in us again because it hasn't gone well the last couple of times. So it's hard to get overly excited or too hopeful. We don't want to let ourselves get too hopeful because of the disappointments that have followed that kind of hope recently. Well, if we
0: start by looking at where, at where Dublin are at, I mean, they have wobbled a few times on this unbeaten run and they did so again at the weekend, I suppose there's a couple of ways of looking at this, and one is that this is a sign of this mental strength that Dublin now have that they they feel themselves that they just aren't going to get beaten. But another one is that they actually aren't playing quite as well as the unbeaten record would suggest, and and that maybe they aren't where they were this time last year when they gave Kerry a fairly a serious beating.
7: Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I mean, it's just like I mean, even the game in Trilly when 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 Kerry had him by the. By, by the throat, I suppose, but literally and, and figuratively. In the last, you know, in injury time, you know, in the seventy-first minute, when Kerry were leading by two points, uh, and Dublin didn't play well, and you know, Kerry played okay, but it was a game that no other team in the country was going to come back and win. Bar bar Dublin bar because they, you know, they have that belief and that kind of resilience built up that they just don't accept defeat very easily. Now, and even for a team that isn't hitting, you know, the highest of notes and hitting, you know, riding on all cylinders, they're still they're still just grinding out these results and finding ways to win new ways and and producing different guys who are coming up with the goods every time and they're just, you know, I while I think you, once you add in all the guys, once Connolly gets fit and, you know, once once they get their proper balance and get everybody back in the places that they want, them, man, for the for the summer, I, I just think they're going to be, um, you know, they're obviously still the team to beat, but, you know, th- these wins that they're getting now without their their maybe their best personnel, it's just going to stand them, you know, in such good stead again come the summer because everybody's feeling involved in it now and everybody's, you know, feeding off this unbeaten run.
1: Yeah, and uh, you look at the the way that they've been pushed so far this year, like Down and Kerry, uh, Tyrone and Croker, Donegal and Bally Buffet, Yesterday again, uh, are, is there a, a, an idea now that in the last kind of fifteen years, the hand of history is on the teams that are that lead Dublin in the last couple of months? So aside from what Dublin are doing, aside from the bench, aside from you know a mentality that they have. In teams aren't pushing on against them now they're they're waiting for the they're trying to run down the clock with 20 minutes to go nearly against the dubs and dublin kind of have that uh, that uh, thing that kilkenny used to have that you have to be four or five points better than them to win by a point
7: yeah yeah they they've just i think it's as much as their mentality has has developed in in you know, into closing out games so strongly in the last 15 minutes. Like the point you're making is, it's affecting other teams now. They're they're waiting for that onslaught. You know, uh, it again. It, it was the same. You know, it was the same. And truly, it was the same. In my you know, with Manahan or uh, on Sunday. Um, and it's it's just there's almost, and it's even I can feel it myself now with this game coming on on Sunday. You're actually, you're actually afraid to get too uh, too hopeful about you know maybe this will be the time that we catch them now. And and like they they've done that to people, you know. They've done that to people as cocky as Kerry people are. They've done that to us now, where where you're you're just you're just not sure which way it'll go. And, and and you know, is it going to be a case that we can scrape out a one or two point win, or are you going to get beaten by fifteen points again? And and they've just got that aura about him now. And every every like if Kerry are feeling it, you know, you can be sure that, that Tyrone and Donegal and Monaghan and everybody else is in the same boat. and You know, it's just a really, you know, they've after developing something that's never been done before in the GA with this run of unbeaten games. And, um, you know, it's after giving them that that even, you know, added added sense of, of, you know, just an aura of of like United had it when they were on their winning runs. Even when they're playing badly, they'd win a a one-nil scruffy game away to Crystal Palace on a Monday night. Like they've done this now, they've developed this 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 sense of invincibility about themselves, and and not only is it benefiting themselves, it's affecting everybody else negatively as well. You know.
0: Presumably, Kerry are feeling pretty good about themselves, though, and the the, the rivalry with Tyrone was such a big one for a long time, and it seems like further evidence at the weekend that they've certainly got on top of that one. A lot of us only saw short highlights on TV last night. Mike, were Kerry impressive?
7: They were very impressive. Yeah, they were very impressive. Again, it's very hard to know. You know, it's very hard to know when you see Tyrone how good or bad Tyrone were. They, they certainly didn't play well. You know, I was excited to see him I, you know, all the hype was that they were after finding a lot of players and, you know, McNabb and you know all these guys inside. They were they were going to give him a bit of a cut and thrust up front. They didn't have anything really. They had nothing of of note that you would have. You know, they just looked like they had no interest in the game, which obviously they must have had. But the way they carried themselves. They, they didn't look like they were guys trying to fight to get to a league final anyway. And, and Kerry, to be fair to the credit, they did look that, you know, that they wanted another crack at Dublin if, if other results had gone their way, which they did, and it all worked out. But yeah, they were really impressive. Dave again in the middle of the field looks like he's really coming. But do you see, you got these guys, you got these young guys like Kevin McCarthy now and Ronan Shannon and Jack Barry um, you know, Adrian Splane didn't play yesterday, but you've got these young guys who played in Tralee in that in that in that big game in the league against Dublin, and you just don't know how good those guys are yet until you see them maybe against Dublin in Croke Park. That'll give you a really good indication of, okay, well we're actually after getting closer now because we're after adding these athletic pieces to our puzzle. But you're just not sure yet from a Kerry point of view. Um, while they did a really good job on Tyrone, but Tyrone looked. To me, so sluggish and, and and didn't look to have anywhere near the mobility or the athleticism that they had a couple of years ago, or or even that you know Dublin have at the moment. Uh,
1: it this kind of league final. I mean, we're talking about it as if Kerry have already lost it. But if you'll bear with me for a minute, I mean, it does come at a bit of a strange time for Kerry because. Uh, Brendan's won the Hogan Cup. That's four Hogan Cups in a row for Kerry schools. The under twenty ones were absolutely brilliant last Wednesday night against Cork. Crokes just won the the club All Ireland. Like the feeling is that broadly speaking, you know you should be very positive as a Kerry footballer. But the mind does keep wandering back to last year and the damage maybe that that league final defeat actually did to Kerry.
7: Yeah, and and you also forgot. I think our three minor All-Irelands in a row, and and you've got a minor team coming this year, which is supposed to be better than than all the ones previously. So, uh, like the production line is 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 rolling, and everything is 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 looking really really positive from that aspect. And and I like I'm on record as saying, I think in the next five years, I think Kerry are going to through, go to go through a period of of dominance. You know, from from the five-year mark on to to another ten years of of Kerry being as dominant as Dublin are now, I, I really do think that, and that's a big that's a big statement. I I know, but the, the players that are being produced right now, while there isn't any hard and you know, fast correlation between successful minor teams and senior teams. These guys are are, are just looking an exceptional, exceptional bunch. That, And you're getting so much of them now. If you even get half of them, true, you're still going to have an outstanding team for, for the next 10 years. So, so sorry, sorry but just I, on,
0: on that time frame, when is this era of dominance going to begin? I, I need the Mike work blueprint on this one. So you're saying within about five years, they'll...
7: I'm saying you, you give, me, give me five years yeah. from now. Yeah. Maybe five years from now, and I, 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 think you know once, once these guys now who are who are your 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 eighteen, nineteen, and 20, 21 year olds, once they reach that 24, 25, 26 stage, I, I think then you know that's when when these guys hit their peak. That's when you know Paul Flynn and Bernard Brogan and Connolly and all these guys started to to really be the dominant guys that they are now. And I think once you start getting to that age group and you start finding guys in that bracket that's, that's when, when I think these guys are going to start to, to dominate as, as much as they have at kind of underage level, you know. Um, but while, while that's really exciting and that's great, in the, in the here and now, I, I'm still just not sure if, if we have those guys. And like I, I, I wouldn't like to get the impression that, I mean, absolutely Dublin are beatable and, and, and Kerry could beat them on, on Sunday. The, the point is what Dublin have done is they've kind of, they've ground away at that kind of sense of hope, that are not even hope that sense of certainty that we certainty that we would have had going into a big final in, in croque park against dublin or anybody you'd say geez, carry carry themselves in any final but in this one you just don't know it, it, it's a real it's a real kind of can we can we do something special and stop this run and stop the streak and get a win for ourselves against dublin which is even more significant or are these guys just going to trample all over us again you know
0: I see a story in the paper that you write for The Examiner, Mike, from last week about Cullum Cooper meeting with Eamon Fitzmaurice to decide whether or not to play on for another year or possibly retire from the game. Uh, I think that set in train some rumours that maybe he is going to finish. Is there any word from the Kingdom about this?
7: no i don't i mean i i was I was talking to donahue only yesterday, and um no there isn't i i don't know to be honest I'd be lying if I gave you any indication like um i I think everybody in Kerry would love to see him stay on for for another year at least and um and see can he can he give us something, whether it's from a starting role or, or coming on with 15, 20 minutes to go and be that kind of a playmaker that he was for Croaks, you know, when they went to man up and, and the way he ran the show on the last 15 minutes of that game. You know, I, I'm not sure what his own what his own intentions were. For for Cullum, I mean, always, this club final was always a huge kind of a, a monkey on his back that he really just craved that medal as much as any all or All-Star or Footballer of the Year. And... and you know, now that he has that, people the the perception is that he's almost kind of satisfied that, that 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 you know fierce lust for, for um, you know for that medal and for that winning that that competition. So, I I don't know. I I still think the guy is only 30. He's 30. What is it? 33 years of age. 32 yeah. years of age. You know, he's a relatively young guy. I know, the body has has a lot of injuries and stuff like that. I still think it's a shortened year now for him. He's only going to be coming back after a national league I, I think he's a, he still has a you know he could make a huge contribution you know in this summer if he decides to stay on but no one no, no one really knows and anybody who tells you with any great certainty that they know what he's going to do haven't haven't really got a clue it's just okay, um, yeah. I I think Eamon is doing as much as he can to leave him leave him have a bit of time and, and and make a good decision and hopefully that one will be that he stays on for a while
0: probably makes sense yeah he is th- indeed 33 years of age all right Mike great to catch up thanks a million. Oh, bye
7: modern day
2: coaching what is it all about paralysis by analysis infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers fellas with earpieces stuck in their ear psychologists Clive Woodward statisticians, dietitians and as Mick O'Connell alluded to God save us
0: you were out experiencing all this in the flesh Murph, the weekends GA your at Stadium for the double header. the hurling looked particularly exciting
1: yeah, yeah the, the, well I was, I was driving home late last night one, and I, I thought you know if, if one asked me to sum up my experiences here today I, I maybe I should plan a 10 to 15 minute treatise on the nature of joy hmm. you know joy is a human emotion and uh, the joy that I felt watching Shane Walsh do a extremely good Michael Donald impersonation in the Galway Kildare football game and follow that up with Joe Cannings 1-10 oh. uh, 5 points from play goal from a penalty sideline cut and five freeze.
0: Golfman penalty, having missed the penalty earlier, yeah. helping to drag his team back from a ten-point deficit. That was the yeah. Joe Showmer.
1: Yeah, I. Yeah, I mean, I, I. I thought about that. I mean, I thought maybe I should script something. Mm. Maybe add a little mood music behind it. You know, <laughs> I do love mood music. Uh, but, <laughs> but really, on uh, on mature reflection, what I took from the game, the games yesterday, is uh, an extraordinary development in the area of uh, halftime, or indeed. Between Game Cuisine, <laughs> which uh, I sampled yesterday, because I had a Belgian waffle What? Yeah, <laughs> at Pierce Stadium. I thought yesterday. it was going to be sunflower seeds for a moment. No, no, I mean, it, 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 the Belgian waffle, it, I feel, is the coming pastry. You know, in 15 to 20 years, a, a sporting event without a Belgian waffle <laughs> will seem like half a sporting event.
0: What is the difference between a Belgian waffle and oh, American I don't style know. waffle? I Hard to tell.
1: Know. I don't know, I don't but I'm trying to tell you that I had a Belgian waffle And it was extremely good uh, I was uh, queuing for a cup of tea uh, And I, I saw this like Giant mountain of pastries So I was like well I'll, I'll have one of those Whatever it is I'll have it And uh, as I got closer I saw that it was a Belgian waffle So I said to the woman behind the counter I'll have one of your delicious looking Belgian waffles there. And she said thank god for that I, was th- I thought I was going to have to eat them all myself <laughs> uh, Because they didn't seem to be A major hit with the plain-spoken hurling in Gaelic football fans of Galway uh, it was the Snickers or the Kit Kat was the preferred preferred uh, accompaniment to your half-time cuppa
0: what did you have on the Belgian waffle there seems oh, nothing, to be a plet- just,
1: it was ext- just uh, covered in uh, in sort of a sugary coating oh. uh, so N- that was Nutella it. seems to be popular yeah. judging by the photos I'm not going to strawberries ah yeah but I mean you know that's it's a bit of a mess now when you're trying to eat it in a deceit and Pierce <laughs> stadium. Come on, I mean, let's that's, that's, I mean, if you want, I can talk a little bit about the hurling, uh, because it was uh, pretty extraordinary. That it, I was talking all week about how this, these were going to be two brilliant games. Yeah. The footballers, the goal of footballers, had to win or draw uh, to be sure of promotion, and then the hurlers have their first uh, game against Division One A opposition all year since goal had started the year in One B. So. Uh, then during, on Friday night, two teams named, Kildare and Waterford both make wholesale changes. And it kind of took the, the whole sting out of it. As it turns out, the footballers were very... If the game had gone on five minutes longer, Kildare would have won. And in the hurling, all of these six debutants, I think they were for Waterford, and they all did absolutely brilliantly in the first half. Uh, goalie were 11 points to two down at one stage. Uh, they were 10 points down early in the second half. But it's, it's just... It's indicative of the Galway hurling... Uh, team at the moment so it's not even inconsistency game to game it's inconsistency within games but uh, the second that David Burke and Joe Canning in particular stood up and a bit of physicality actually came into the game uh, Goller were sensational for the last 15 minutes scored Watford I think 1-7 to no score and uh, yeah by the end of the day it was, uh, it was pretty enjoyable
0: Speaking of sensational hurling I was quite impressed by Wexford from what I saw there, win against Kilkenny. The first time they've beaten Kilkenny away or certainly at Nolan Park since 1957. yeah And they could have done it by a big score. They won by five points. They missed a penalty. Paul Murphy had a bit of a stormer for Kilkenny in goals. So they could, they could have easily been a double-digit scoreline. In some ways, possibly for the best that they didn't embarrass hmm. Kilkenny ahead of their likely championship meeting in
1: Leinster. In a, yeah, because we were we were talking last week about just how... Uh, how much Davy Fitzgerald and the Wexford hurling team would actually be looking forward to Kilkenny, would they have preferred to get anyone else in the quarterfinal, given that it's more than likely that it'll be a Leinster semi-final between Wexford and Kilkenny in Wexford. Um, As it turns out, I mean, you know, maybe this will just be a footnote. Maybe Kilkenny will go back down to Wexford and beat them by five or six points in the Championship, and that would be the one that Wexford would much rather have won. But the manner of this, I mean... And it's quite something, really. I mean, there was there was talk of Kilkenny in crisis and all the rest, and we all kind of rolled our eyes at that. But in the last two months, they have lost to Waterford, Wexford and Clare. And they're three counties that Kilkenny have very much enjoyed a psychological hold, indicative of the hold that they've held over to all teams over the last 10 or 15 years. The Kilkenny just... Kilkenny win those games, even when they're four or five points worse than the, their opposition. They find a way to win because... Teams are kind of half looking over their shoulder, um, you know, looking for the finish line. Uh, as we were talking to Mike Cork about, um, but for them to 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 lose as comprehensively as they did to Wexford yesterday, I mean, it all just sets up the championship absolutely brilliantly. So it was a great result from that point of view.
0: I'm sorry, I think I started with At Hicks, Simon. I'm gonna have to finish with him. What an avatar! This is the first time I've I've noticed this. It's
1: the first time you've looked at Simon Hicks' Twitter. <sighs>
0: Unbelievable! So we've got the Simon sitting on the right, at do the you bar. Follow You follow him? Of course I follow him. Yeah, I just don't look that closely (laughs) at his (laughs) commentary. I'm not too sure. So he's sitting on the set of Second Captain's Live television show. The good wall there in the background. He appears to be in the bar area with a very serious look on his face. I should have mentioned what he's wearing in the first place. He's got what looks to be a rip-off set of tux, maybe like a tuxedo style. Mm. Is there there a non-rip-off? Tuxedo, tuxedo. sorry, I should say. (laughs) Is there a non-rip-off version of the tux? (laughs) Now, in the background, clearly he's about to strip. This is... Yeah. what I think is about to happen and when I say the look of joy on the faces of Irish sporting legends is it Shane Horgan and Sonia O'Sullivan behind yeah. it's just Sonia O'Sullivan l- looks very amused by what's about to transpire here Simon congratulations yeah. what a moment that's that must have been Ireland's
1: for
4: you. greatest Olympian uh, yeah. about to watch me strip
0: thanks again thanks, thanks Simon thanks for listening bye do is that,
3: that's the second time it's gone on. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home.
7: Those, those, those boys. Acast powers the
1: world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.